You may be seated. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, we come before you this day as we reflect for this message this morning on the blessing of your day, the Lord's day. And we thank you for the privilege of being a part of, of your worshiping community, your church. And as we come now to a number of passages in your word, as we reflect upon this significant dynamic of the Christian life, weekly worship on the Lord's Day, I would ask, oh God, that you would show us the blessings that we enjoy as we come together as a worshiping community on the day that you have set aside, a day that is characterized by rest. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just sang about wanting uh, God to work so that his churches are full. And the good news is every single person that God has chosen to be in his church uh, will be incorporated into the visible church. So we can say with full confidence that, that the church will be full, filled up with all the elect. But we live in a day where at least what we read in polls and what we uh, discover as we look at professionals who research these sorts of things, that actually church attendance is, is down in our land today, especially among our young people and especially among young people who have grown up in the church. But yet, in light of those statistics that really are troubling in many ways, yet we should have great confidence that God is going to gather his elect sinners into his church. And one day we'll all be together in heaven there around the throne. And what I want us to reflect on today is the blessings of the Lord's day. And we know that some may not view the Lord's day as a blessing because their views of the Lord's day may be more legalistic. There are more wants dues on the Lord's day. Some others might not view the Lord's day as a blessing because the Lord's day is just like any other day of the week, a day that maybe is more special because it's a day perhaps we can get caught up on things so that the Monday through Saturday are not as tough for us. So either legalism or licentiousness, those two views, those extremes, I think cause some people not to view the Lord's Day, not to view what we're doing here this morning as a blessing. But the Bible is very clear. The Bible teaches in clear terms that every believer should view the Lord's Day and especially the Lord's Day worship as a source of great, great uh, blessing. And the blessings that believers receive as they gather together as a church on the Lord's Day are represented in this work of John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress that we've been looking at now for uh, several weeks, about 16 uh, messages at uh, this particular point because he shows us some of the ways that the Lord's Day worship and the Lord's Day in general is a blessing uh, to God's people so we're looking at this series 
of the Christian life using Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress as a roadmap. Now, you may remember earlier in the story that Christian, after he got up the hill of difficulty, was at the Palace Beautiful, and before he left the Palace Beautiful, he was taken up to the roof, and he was, he was given a, a really spectacular view of, of, of what was ahead of him on the journey. And far off in the distance, he was able to see the delectable mountains in Emmanuel's land. And so he had that glimpse of where he was headed, that, that glimpse of that, that glorious land. And then after he left the palace beautiful, remember he goes through a series of two valleys where he greatly uh, struggled. And then as he left those valleys, he entered Vanity Fair where he was tempted with worldliness, and then he leaves Vanity Fair and encounters some other things and eventually makes it to the silver mine and then the, the pillar of Lot's wife where he was challenged about turning from Christ back to sin in the heart. And then if you were with us last week, uh, Christian made a very, very costly decision there at the Bypath Meadow that resulted in both Christian and Hopeful winding up in the dungeon of Downing Castle with Christian losing all assurance of salvation even to the point of despairing of life. And that great struggle took place that Wednesday where Christ Christian made that terrible decision all the way until late in to Saturday night. They were struggling greatly under the thumb of the John of Despair and his wife, Definence. So do you remember that? Maybe this past week you've been despairing a bit. That's part of the Christian life, isn't it? We can so easily fall into despair. We can so easily find ourselves in a valley where we're really in a struggle. Maybe it's a struggle with spiritual warfare uh, maybe it's a struggle with our sin. We can be so tempted to turn back and begin to love that old sin once again. That Those sorts of things can describe our Monday through Saturday, right? Lots of good things, no doubt. But the Christian life can and is a struggle. But remember what happens early that Sunday morning, they're Christian and hopeful in that, that dungeon of despair, that they begin to pray, and then they realize that they had the key to get out of that dungeon the whole time, the promises of God. And so they are freed from the dungeon. They make it back to the king's highway, the straight and narrow way. They set up a monument saying, don't do what we did. <laughs> Stay on the straight and narrow way. Don't put confidence in yourself and go the bypass meadow way. And then on that Sunday morning, that, that wonderful vision that Christian had earlier in the journey of the delectable mountains, they actually arrived there. And remember in Bunyan's story, the delectable mountains represent a maturing church closer to the gate into the celestial city. And there at the delectable mountains, they experience blessing. The blessing of being a part of a maturing church. 
and the blessing of all that the church experiences on the Lord's Day. And they experience three things. And this really will be the three things that we'll look at today. Not exclusive, that is to say that that we only are blessed in these three ways. There are many, many blessings to being a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? But at least these are three of the major ways that you and I are blessed. We are blessed because of shepherds, because of sermons, and because of rest, the Sabbath rest. We want to look at those three things today. And I've reordered the sermon outline on page five to put what is number one there actually will be number three. So we'll look at the Sabbath rest as we conclude our time together this morning. And so first, the Lord Day is a blessing because the church is led and cared for by shepherds. And so as Christian and hopeful finally make it there to the delectable mountains, they see up on the hill shepherds tending to their flocks. Beautiful picture of the church. So who are these shepherds? The first answer, and it, you know, the answer in Sunday school, if you say Jesus, you'll probably get the answer right 99.9% of the time. And in answer to the question, well, who are the shepherds? If you said Jesus, you're right. It is Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd. Bruce, one Sunday evening here a while back, preached on that. Jesus as the good shepherd. And Jesus is continuing to shepherd his church, his flock today, though he has ascended at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. So how does he shepherd his church today? He primarily shepherds through his under-shepherds, those men whom he has called out to be his under-shepherds. We know them as elders in the church. In fact, if you, and feel free to turn to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. I'll just be looking at a number of scriptures today, and they're all equally important with regards to this message. And one is Acts 20, 28, the end of Paul's third missionary journey before he heads back to Jerusalem. He wants to go to a town just 60 miles south of Ephesus, Miletus, and there he wanted to meet with those elders that were raised up in the Ephesian church. Remember, Paul spent almost two years in Ephesus, so he knew these guys well, and they knew Paul well. And he wanted to give a farewell address to them. And in, in, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul speaks to them in terms of the role of being a shepherd and elder in Christ's church. And he says this, pay careful attention to yourselves. Now, those of us who are elders here at Covenant, we, we take Paul's admonition here to heart, don't we? The number one way a shepherd is to go about being a shepherd is to, is to carefully look at his own heart and to be right with the good shepherd. And then secondly, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves 
and to all the flock, you folk, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Which he obtained with his own blood. The church is of inestimable value, isn't it? I was talking with a violin maker here in Little Rock yesterday, and I asked him, because I'm always curious about why are things priced the way they are? Have you ever thought about that? And so he makes custom-made violins. And I, and I said, how, how do you price a violin that it may have taken you three months uh, to make? And I said, do you have some kind of a formula? He said, well, actually, it's, the way you price it is what the market will bear. It's what people will pay for it. And so you, could, you can get a custom-made violin from uh, Wesley for about 8000 If you want it made out of special wood, 8500 If you need a violin, let me know. I can put you in contact with Wesley. But think about the value of our redemption. Can we even begin to put a price on it? What will the market bear doesn't even come into play because if Christ has not saved us, uh, we will pay, but we'll pay with our life. And the point is that this role of shepherding is incredibly important. That as an under-shepherd, we are caring for that which cannot be priced, has no price tag. It's just that valuable. And so I speak to those of us who are elders and the responsibility that we have to shepherd for the glory of Jesus and for the good of the sheep. So one of the primary responsibilities of elders is shepherding, shepherding the flock of Jesus Christ. So here are some ways that, that our elders here at Covenant and elders throughout the PCA shepherd God's people. This is just simply from our book or church order. That elders are to guard the flock against doctrinal and moral corruption. Elders are to exercise governing the church and exercising church discipline. We're to oversee the spiritual interests of individuals within the church, but also of the congregation of the church as a whole. We are to provide pastoral care. That includes counseling. We are to be able to teach. Not necessarily that an elder has to be able to stand up in front of a Sunday school class and teach, but we must be able to take either one person or a small group or a Sunday school class to God's Word and, and teach it uh, to them. The elders to be an example of godliness uh, to the flock. The church is blessed as the church comes together on the Lord's Day to be shepherded by Jesus through Jesus's under shepherds. And here's an encouragement that I have for you. Take advantage. Yes, take advantage of your session. Take advantage of your elders. I want to give you three ways to do that. There are many more. Here are my three. Let your elder know or let an elder know how they can pray for you. If you are struggling with a decision, seek out your elder or an elder for counsel. And desire and be open to the elder giving oversight and pastoral care for you.
Now, in our tradition, we have one office of elder, but we have two orders. And this is always a little confusing with people just coming into the PCA, especially Presbyterianism, trying to figure out our former church government and the distinction. Let me just briefly just say this, that we understand that there's one office of elder with the responsibility, at least the responsibilities that I've just described previously. But yet within that office of elder, there are two orders, ruling elders and teaching elders. Ruling elders, men who are members of the local church, who've been called of God, trained and elected to be the church's representatives to serve on the session. And they're teaching elders like me, men who have been seminary trained and have additional qualifications to be able to regularly preach the word of God and to administer uh, the sacraments. And so today, for example, we've had a ruling elder, Josh, pray for us. Did you feel shepherded? Josh didn't have a staff, at least I don't think he did, Josh, but in a sense he did. He was shepherding, he was shepherding me. I pray, he prayed for me. And what else did Josh do as an elder, as a shepherd? He opened God's word to us, didn't he? He read from Revelation 21. I don't ask our elders just to come up here and pray and read scripture because I don't want to do it. <laughs> it's their calling to oversee worship, to be involved in shepherding in worship. It's their calling to be about teaching and reading from the Word of God. It's a privilege. It's a calling. And we should have our ruling elders and our teaching elders function as shepherds even during the worship service, as is our tradition here. So having said that, as, as we look at, at the way Bunyan has crafted this story at the Delectable Mountains, I think that this, this, this issue of shepherding that is clearly there does point to all elders ruling and teaching. But I think Bunyan wants us to, to see even beyond that specifically to the teaching elder. In Ephesians 4 in the ESV, it's called shepherd teacher, NIV, pastor teacher. Individuals like me who are called and given the authority to regularly preach the word and to administer the sacraments. And so you see in our worship service not only do we have ruling elders ministering through prayer and the word but we also have teaching elders like me ministering primarily through the word and Bunyan zeroes in on that that role of the elder who is a pastor teacher, a shepherd teacher, and ministering to the congregation, shepherding the congregation through preaching. Paul in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, says Paul to young Timothy, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And Paul in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, he speaks about the office of shepherd teacher, pastor teacher, equipping and building up the church primarily, I believe, through the ministry of the word. When Paul says, and he gave 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, I think that's one office, shepherd and teacher, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. Through the ministry of preaching, through the ministry of public reading of God's word, the sheep are fed and built up and equipped. May the encouraging sight that the pilgrims had there as they finally reached the delectable mountains and saw those shepherds up on the mountainside tending to their flock, may, may that view be in our hearts and minds as, as we see the blessing of being a part of the shepherding ministry of the church and benefiting from that shepherding ministry. But second, the church is blessed not only by God providing under-shepherds to shepherd the flock, but also through uh, sermons. Uh, God's word preached. It's interesting that as Christian and Hope will make it to the delectable mountains, they actually have a conversation with four shepherds there. And those shepherds take Christian and Hopeful through the mountains. And as they go, they expound truth to them. And so we're given four episodes of these shepherds speaking truth to Christian and Hopeful as they're journeying through the delectable mountains. And I just simply take them to be four sermons. So let me just give you a very brief description of these four sermons. The shepherds took Christian Hopeful first to the hill called Error. Pastors, bless the flock. I bless you. Your, el your ruling elders bless you. As we preach sermons, as we read scriptures that guard and protect the church from doctrinal error, and where we encourage you to hold fast to the truth. And Paul gives an example of what happens when shepherds are not diligent to guard and protect from error. Second Timothy 2, 16 through 18. But avoid irreverent babble, Paul says, where it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. And so that's an example of where irreverent babble, speaking falsehoods, affect the entire church. But yet the shepherds bless God's people by feeding them truth so that God's people can better discern truth from error. So that's one sermon that was preached to Christian and hopeful, and they were blessed by it. Secondly, Christian and hopeful were taken to mount caution. And this is an interesting one because the preachers, the shepherds, asked Christian Hopeful to look back, to look back at just what happened Wednesday through Saturday as a function of, of Christian making that, that terrible error of misplacing his confidence, putting his confidence in himself and not keeping his confidence in Christ. And of course, you know the story, they wound up in the dungeon of despair. 
But as these preachers on the Mount Caution called them to look back, they looked back and they saw blind men just simply roaming around graves. Showing that's what happens to people who remain in their despair and, don't, and are not freed from despair by the key of, of promise. And the point of this is for Christian and hopeful to be reminded of their error so that they can see the, how powerful are the mercies of God that resulted in their release. And so we're to be cautioned. We're not to become arrogant. We can look back and see so many missteps that we have made, and yet God's mercies have kept us. And so, for example, and this is why I think in 1 John 1, 8 through 10, we read this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We must not live in the past, but we must learn from our past errors so that we keep trusting Christ today. We keep resting in his mercies. And the third mountain, or actually it wasn't a mountain, they actually went down into a valley, and there the shepherd showed Christian and hopeful a door in the side of a of a hill. It, it, it was called the uh, byway uh, to hell. And they were told, this is where hypocrites go. This is where people who look good on the outside, but inside they are corrupt. That is where they go. It's a warning not to play around with sin, to take sin seriously. Hebrews 10, 26 through 27, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Yes, sometimes preachers need to preach hellfire and brimstone. We need to preach judgment to believers that we would be reminded of how seriously God takes sin and the judgment. When one person said, we cannot harbor sin and hide sin while we outwardly profess faith in Christ. Sin needs to be dealt with. We must not play the hypocrite. And then the fourth sermon is this. They were taken to a hill called Clear. And interestingly, they were given a looking glass. Think of binoculars. And the shepherd said to Christian Hopeful, take these binoculars and look off and there you can see the celestial city, and before the celestial city, you can actually see the gate from the mount called Clear. So what did I have Josh read from Revelation 21 this morning? Because sometimes God's people need to hear a sermon about what lies ahead. There are those passages that function like looking behind the curtain <laughs> to see what's going on. And Revelation 21, 9 through 27 is a, is a way for us to get a glimpse into heaven itself, our destination, so that we would be encouraged, encouraged to press on.
We read passages like Philippians 3, 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal. We need to have a glimpse of heaven fixing our minds as we journey in the Christian life. Well, the goal of blessings, of the blessings of a sermon, I think, are given in a passage like 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And think about the words that are used there to show the value of God's word, and I would say the value of God's word preached as long as that sermon is rooted in the scriptures. Well, let me make this comment. Not, not, not one single sermon can cover all the bases. There is no way in the world that um, a preacher can preach everything that God's people need to hear every time they come to worship. But you and I know the value of having a healthy diet that as we eat right over time, our bodies are healthy. And so think of sermons like that. Sometimes you do need correction. And the sermon needs to be about correction. Sometimes you do need to be encouraged with a glimpse of heaven. And we need to go to passages like Revelation chapter 21. But the point I want to make is that through the preaching ministry of the shepherds over time, there is blessing because of a balanced diet of reproof, correction, training, and encouragement. Blessing and the blessings one received, not only because the church is led and cared for by Christ's under-shepherds, but also because some of those under-shepherds are given the authority and the responsibility to preach God's word, to feed the flock. And then lastly, we come to this issue of the Sabbath rest. Third, the Lord's Day is a blessing because it is a day of resting in Christ. So if you turn to Exodus 20 and verses 8 through 11, you'll actually find there God's command on the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Then in verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And I believe that this this matter of rest, in my opinion, best represents the Sabbath day, resting. Now, the scriptures give several truths concerning the Sabbath, not just from Exodus 20, which is the command, but these descriptive passages of scripture show us that the early church, the New Testament church, worshiped on the first day of the week, the Christian Sabbath the day of resurrection. Another truth that we find in God's word is that Jesus himself identifies himself as being the Lord of the Sabbath and therefore he has the right to define the Sabbath. And he defines the Sabbath for us in yet another passage, Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. The Sabbath was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, we shouldn't view the Sabbath as if we are enslaved to it. The Sabbath was made for us as a blessing is how I understand what Jesus is saying here. The Christian Sabbath 
is to be a day of rest. That includes physical rest, no doubt. Resting from that work that we've been doing the previous six days. God resting from his six days of creation there on that eternal Sabbath day. But it's also a day chiefly to be resting in Christ. Think of it like this. As the Heidelberg Catechism points out in the 103rd question, resting from our evil ways by resting in Christ. In other words, we rest in all of the saving benefits of Christ. And I believe one of the primary ways that we we rest in Christ is when we assemble together as God's people on the Lord's Day for worship where we not only serve God in worship, but we encourage one another, we fellowship with one another, we benefit from the means of grace, the, the preached word, the read word, the sacraments when we observe them as well as prayer. And so we think of passages like Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, where the writer says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, not encouraging one another, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, as, as you see the day drawing near, as you see that there is going to be the end of the journey of the Christian life, all the more should we be given to coming together on the Lord's day uh, to worship God and to encourage one another. I fear that So many that call themselves Christians have completely lost any sense of privilege and responsibility and blessing of the Lord's day because they cast it off as they would a dirty shirt. And I would challenge old and young alike to see that God has said we need a day of rest. We need corporate worship. We need to be a part of the church. Christian and hopeful found on the Lord's day as they, as they came, this is what they found, gardens and orchards, the vineyards and the fountains of water, for they drank and washed themselves and freely ate of the vineyards. It was a beautiful place. It was, it was an abundant place of provisions where, where the pilgrims did physically rest, but there was also that glorious spiritual rest that they enjoyed. They were revived from all of the difficulty of just the night before. Think of it like this. They were in a dungeon Saturday. And now they find themselves feasting in a vineyard, eating of a garden that, whose fruit is always ripe, washing themselves clean in the cleansing water that ever flows. Think of the benefit and blessing of the church. Monday through Saturday, our journey includes dangers, valleys, temptations of this world, temptations in our own hearts to turn back and 
in favor and love for that old sin, the ever-present temptation of putting our confidence in ourselves, which always results in a catastrophe, doesn't it? It results in Doubting Castle. It results in the dungeon of despair. Every time we put our confidence in ourselves, that's what happens. And every time we do that, guess what? God's mercies are abundant. And he brings us to the place of prayer and reminds us of the key we had all the time to get out of that dungeon of despair. And we get out to come to church Sunday morning and be refreshed and revived to enjoy this day of rest and gladness that we sang about at the beginning of the service, to feast, to be strengthened as we come together as a family, as we benefit from the shepherds, as we benefit from the shepherds' sermons, as we rest in Christ. And let me just tell you this. And I tell you this because I've reminded myself of this this week. That if we honor the Lord's day. And we rest from our evil ways. We rest from what we would rather do. And rest in Christ. That strength. And gladness and vitality will spill over to Monday through Saturday. One man challenged another to an all-day uh, wood chopping competition. And the challenger, I mean, he was like a lumberjack. This guy took his axe and he chopped and chopped and chopped and worked harder than any one could possibly work chopping wood, took a very brief lunch and went right back to chopping wood. He chopped wood all day long. And the other man took his axe and, you know, chopped some wood and then he would rest. And he had a leisurely lunch and he chopped some more wood and then he would rest. And at the end of it, at the end of the day, the challenger was surprised, if not annoyed, that the other guy had chopped more wood than he had. And so he said, I don't understand. I have worked hard chopping wood constantly, but for a brief break. And every time I've looked at you, you've been taking a break. You even had a leisurely lunch. How in the world could you chop more wood than me? And the other man said, well, what you didn't see is that when I was resting I was sharpening my axe think about the Lord's day being a time when you can have your axe sharpened now I don't think we should see Sunday as simply a means so that we could be more productive maybe make more money in the week to come but I do think we need to hear what the scriptures say about resting in Christ on the Lord's day that resting in Christ on the Lord's day so strengthens us, so revives us, so equips us, so refreshes us that we're able to, to continue to, to rest from our evil ways and rest in Christ that whole next week. And if we do that, guess what? We probably will be more productive and we will be more faithful.
Shepherd, sermon, Sabbath rest are primary ways God's people are blessed on the Lord's day. And that blessing spills over in the week to come. And then we're able to say, until we meet again. Let us pray. Father, cause us to have a high view of the Lord's day. Cause us to see it is full of blessings, many more than I have been able to speak about today. Cause us who are shepherds to seek you first and foremost, to see our loyalty is to you, to seek you for grace, to seek you to equip us that we might shepherd well here at Covenant. And I pray for these, this dear flock here, that they would be challenged and enlivened to see the Lord's day. I pray the same for myself, to see the Lord's day as a day of rest for blessing. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.